Hello, welcome to another edition of the Talking Basketball Podcast. I am Mark. I am Paul. Hello. Hello, hello. And we have got a guest. Mark, this, it does not get bigger than this guest. It does not get bigger. We are talking about former Portsmouth FC basketball club, former Worthing Bear, former Manchester United, former Manchester Giant, former Solent Star. I could keep going on. I could keep going on, Mark. I could say all time. BBL player four times in wow. his career. Um, I tell you what, with a, no ado whatsoever, I'm going to introduce him right now. Yeah, now stand and cheer for your BBL legend. Yeah, forward number fourteen, Colin Irish. That was a good one. Nice, nice intro. Colin, welcome. Thank How are you? Thank you. Thank you for gracing the podcast. Um, I, for uh, our younger listeners, um, Colin Irish was one of the best players um, to grace the BBL um, in his time. And he was part of the Portsmouth FC Basketball Club. And that, you know what, I'm going to say it again like I did for, for Jason, that inspired a generation 100%. of of basketball players and coaches who have now taken on and, and trying to inspire other generations. Even this podcast, it doesn't happen without Colin Irish. No. 100%. So um, that's why when we talk about Colin, we're in such awe. And I would say throughout the UK, um, the, the name Colin Irish is still hugely, highly respected. Yeah, it's synonymous with basketball in the UK. All the teams that yourselves have played for and that period of time was defining basketball in the UK. It was so definitive of how it's shaped and obviously the BBL records go from 87, the, the current BBL records as they stand, 1987 going forward. Anything before that, it's really tricky to find anything. As we oh. found out. <laughs> Thank you, fellas. Well, Colin actually joined in the debut season for the BBL in 1987. Does that feel like a long time ago, Colin? No, it was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, it was a long time ago. It was, uh, it was uh, some great memories, man. I got actually came over in 85 for Warrington. That was my first year. Um, and then we became Man United and we moved down to Portsmouth after that. That was the start of the Portsmouth FC when we came down there. The year before they had the half the season, and then 86 was a, 86, 87 was the start of the uh, Portsmouth Football Club with Mr. Deacon. I, I got to ask you because we 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 spoke off air that we had Jason Colgan on um, a few a few uh, weeks back. Um, Jason told us a story where he went to meet Mr. Deacon in the office and he was discussing his contract and all of the details. But what Jason did say is. He left, and then you followed straight after him. And he was like, "I bet that conversation was a lot more different." My conversations with Mr. Deacon were classics. Um, great guy, great man. I loved Mr. Deacon. He treated me very well. He treated all of us very well. But uh, I came into Manchester, went to Warrington, we became Manchester, and then and then we had a very good year, topped off by a crazy Wembley. Um, and I did not want to leave Manchester. 
I did not want to leave Manchester at the time. We had a nice, we had a nice mix. I was really close with Ed Bone at the time, Will Brown, Jeff Jones, Phil Brazil, a few of the other guys. We were really, really close. Alan Bannister, and then I did not want to leave. Did not want to leave. So um, Danny Palmer was the coach then, and he called and he was like, you know, London to be playing an All Star game. You know, you're interested in Ports? I said, no, I'm going back to Manchester. And we had just an unbelievable career, topped by winning Wembley that year. And then uh, they brought in their general manager and we we're like, man, United, I'm like, that's a different level. And then they called us all in and they said, you know, we, literally the week after we won Wembley, we lost to Kingston, Ed, Steve Bontrager and those guys, Martin Clark. We lost to Kingston and we finally beat them at Wembley. And literally we had a big parade and matches because we became Manchester United halfway through the season. The week Manchester United came, literally the couple days, maybe the Wednesday after winning Wembley, they called us into the meeting. So we want all you guys to take pay cuts. We're like, what? And all of us were very, very confused. Um, and then it just went from there. And then I did, like I said, I didn't want to leave, did not want to leave um, Manchester. And obviously Mr. Deacon called me, Brian, his son was, was uh, called me and uh, Danny Palmer called me. And I was kind of using Portsmouth as a reason for Manchester to say, okay. And then I was going back and forth with Mr. Deacon and they were playing a game at Stoke. Portsmouth FC were playing at Stoke and Mr. Deacon said, come meet me for breakfast. And he basically said, man, stop messing around. And we sat there and we talked it out. And my first contract with Portsmouth was written on a napkin at a Crest Hotel with Mr. Deacon in Paul Davis. <laughs> and he was like, if you sign this, you know you're coming. Like, ah, okay. Yeah, make this question. It was, it was, it was that, that's how we, that's how we negotiated. Mr. Deacon said, man, stop messing around. I said, all right, Mr. Deacon. And like I said, the South became home after that. Oh wow! Can you remember the um, the old wooden gym at Fratton Park? Did you guys ever go there? Oh, absolutely! That's where we. That's where our first crate. We'd go to war in that little that little gym. We would battle in that little gym. Imagine eight to ten of us in there. You, you've seen it before. Is it's like a? Is it like two badminton courts, um, kind of size? Yeah. From what I remember, not big. It's not even that big. It's not it's probably a court and a half. It was, and we would, yeah, we had some battles there. You know what? I got, um, I, I, I emailed you this quote, but I, I think it's an amazing quote from Jason Colgan, which is, um, he said, when you turn up and you're training with the likes of Colin Irish and Alan Cunningham and Steve Nelson, and Mike Spade, and you're being beaten up, pushed, kicked, elbowed, everything under the sun, he said, it toughens you up and it makes playing the games easier. Yes, Kilpatrick Wells, the late Larry Dassey. I mean, the names could go on and on. And if any, honestly, if anybody would consistently come to any of our practices and watch us, they would think that we just did not like each other. We went so <laughs> hard. We argued so much about the scores, about the points, about a foul, about another foul. And we would literally, if we started at six, we'd probably start arguing or discussing about 5.45. We went to eight, we'd probably stop arguing or discussing about 8 30 and then we'd all hang out together it was beautiful times oh brilliant it really was brilliant um you know i jason did actually talk about some of your training sessions and and was just highlighting um how hard it was just from like a uh, a vet with someone like jason walking into a into the court for the first time how do you guys treat him are you deliberately like let's see how long it will last or are you taking it easy? 
No. We, anybody stepped on the court, we didn't take it easy. Poor young kids. Looking back at it, we were not, we, we were not very nice to them, probably. But no, anybody that stepped on the court, it was it was time to go to war. Our, our mentality then was we're going to practice and go at each other and beat each other as much up as we can in practice. And when we get to the games, it seems easier. And that's what we did for many years. My body feels it now, but at the time it was great. But uh, we did that practically every day. And something Jason did also share with us, he was saying after training, you would actually take him to a gym and was helping him doing his weight training. And I definitely remember from a spectator's perspective, Jason's upper body just filled out. absolutely yeah. exploded in that one year. And yeah. he was saying that's credit to you taking him to the gym and working Yeah, we'd go down to the gym and we'd lift a little bit more. And it was Alan that got me to start lifting, really, because, I mean, I'd lifted a little bit. Weights didn't come big, big then. I lifted a little bit, then I hurt my knee, which forced me to go into the gym and lift. And then when we got to the South Coast, Alan was a fitness fanatic. And he was the one that actually got me going into the gym even more than I did before, after practice, before practice. Uh, maybe go to the to the old Holiday Inn and, and you know have a jacuzzi and make sure you look after yourself a little bit. So we always took extra time to do that. Talking about Alan Cunningham, um, I don't know if this is a silly question or not, but is is he arguably the greatest BBL player of all time? I would say yes, if not up there. Absolutely. The, the, the crazy thing about Alan, I remember playing, well, fortunately, I only had to play against him one year. We played a lot of years together at Brighton. You know, he never goes left. He never goes left. He never goes left. But he, nobody could stop him. He doesn't go left. He doesn't go left. He doesn't go left. He will right. Nobody stop him. Um, and yeah, he was. He is. He's got to be up there. I would say there's so many great players, man. How do you name O'Malley? Believe in naming the greatest because there's so many great players, different different eras. But uh, he's definitely up there. Yeah, he's. Um, I remember him. Like, I mean, alongside yourself, he was one of the fan favorites for Portsmouth. Yeah. And I remember in particular, maybe it was from his. Um, Harlem Globetrotter days, but even little things like running across the front row and like high-fiving all Doing the spectators and yeah. Um, I'll tell you that, that um, people, I just got asked this question recently here because I'm doing some, a few things here on the basketball front, but you know, that team, our first year in Portsmouth was by far the best team I've ever played with. Oh, wow. If we were state, yes, absolutely. We had Kilpatrick Wells, we had you know, the young boy, the, we'll start with the young boys. We had like Joe White, Andrew Bailey, Tre uh, Trevor Anderson, Michael Hales. Those were our younger group. Steve was part of that young group. You know, we had Alan, we had myself, we had Cal Patrick Wells. Um, it was Dan, Dan Lloyd was there. It, it, we went through Europe and we, we beat some, we beat everybody. We beat everybody by double figures in, in our preseason tour. We had Joe Moore. Joe Moore's a little young little point guard then. And then, uh, then Joe got in a car accident, hurt his eye, and then that just caused, at the time, bringing in other players, and it just was never the same after that. How, how? I mean, you pretty much answered my question that I was thinking of as how dominant for those who weren't around. I mean, we, we were lucky enough to see you play, but in comparative to the other teams in the in the BBL at the time, how dominant was Portsmouth? Would we have been if we'd have kept together? Yeah we would have beaten everyone easily you know um i i can confidently say that i mean there's some great teams around then too you know the differences now and then i feel like there were so many 
even you went to some of the lower lower teams, the teams that people were viewed as lower, they still had some great players. Harvey Knuckles played at home. He was unbelievable. Just to mention one, um, there were players all over the league. Because remember, at the time, there were only two Americans. So the Americans that were coming in were top-notch American basketball players for the majority of the teams. And then the English players were always playing kind of catch-up. And then if you look back, you know, you look at Leicester with Clyde Vaughn and Gene Waldron and those guys. Just the players that that were played in the league then, it was it was a great level of competition every night, no matter if you're playing the top team or one of the bottom teams. And it was it was a moment in Portsmouth where I think, uh, you know, we've talked about it before, where you had this absolute explosion of basketball culture yeah. just suddenly come in. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you, you couldn't get a Michael Jordan jersey. You had to get it from America and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but all of a sudden we had this explosion of basketball and we were literally the best club in the country. We yeah. were one of the best. Yeah, yeah I, I agree with you with that. And we were upstart and everybody that was supporting us and even the, the the board members of Mr. Deacon loved basketball. So therefore, it, I don't know if a lot of the football guys really were confident. I'm still talking about the people that are away from the game, not the players. But the players were cool. They always loved the basketball side of it. But Mr. Deacon, like, it was it was his toy and he loved basketball. And, and so he, he treated us, us well and he allowed us to do a lot of different things. It was just bringing in, the, trying to get everybody involved. We'd go into town with tickets, give tickets away. and maybe give a jersey away here and there. Did a lot of little things to get the crowd to come into the game. My bat used to be packed every night. Yeah, as a coach. Someone said it at one one game they went to, it was like four deep on the balcony at the Mount Madison Center. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so as a coach from your your experiences, if you look back at that team now, was uh, the the strength of the team in the skill set? Was it the dynamic of the players, how you all interacted uh, on and off the court? Where would you sort of put that as a, as a coach? It's weird because honestly, it was all of it. We all looked after wow. each other. Yes, we all looked after after each other. We generally cared about each other, um, and we made each other better on and off the court. It, it, was, it was a beautiful thing. We were all rooming together. Like I said, you know, many of us were single at the time. Not that that mattered, but it, we just hung out together. We, if we had a curfew, sometimes we get four or five videos and sit up all night and watch videos and then get ready for practice. It was we were all together. We'd get together, it'd be 10, 12, 15 of us getting together on a Tuesday night to just do whatever. That's, I mean, that's how teams are made, isn't it? Yeah. That's how yes. you get that, that camaraderie. And it was lovely. Um, I always think when you know it's it's the away trips where you get that team camaraderie but like when you get to the professional level yeah stuff like that it's like that's we're young and dumb we said we're you know we're young and dumb we we, no sleeping on the bus nobody was allowed to sleep on the bus (laughs) what what was the punishment if you did you'd wake them up (laughs) get a tissue and put 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 some put some water in their hand or something put some tissue up their nose so when they did that they hit some water in their face or whatever young and dumb young and dumb but that's the kind of thing we did. And we had our arguments, we had our disagreements, absolutely. But at the end of the day, we're a family. And I think that's where, I'll use, I'll use your word, where families are actually strong, is where you have those disagreements, but then you come together at the end of it. Yeah. Yeah, might take a weekend, it might take a day, but we'd always come back together. Yeah. We're a family. Yes. And, and, and he t- all the coaching that I've ever done, I was like, if you've got a problem, say it, get it out in the open and it's out there then and then all right we'll work from there yes, um rather than have it all way. yeah exactly um mm-hmm. was there anything that you guys did with rookies because i remember um jason talking about 
Steve Nelson's elation that he wasn't the rookie anymore and Jason Colgan was the was the rookie. It was the only reason for that. Did did you guys give him a hard time? Yeah. You know, not, not anything, not anything too bad. Just you're a rookie. You have to pay the dues. And then, you know, nothing bad. So when you become older, they break the rookies in, let them carry the bags. Let them appreciate what they're getting the opportunity to do. You know, pay some dues a little bit. Nothing, nothing crazy. No swirlies or anything like that. <laughs> um, I'll tell you what, I've got a, a great stat. I hope you don't mind. I'm just going to rewind back the clock um, even more now um, that Colin Irish was drafted in the 1984 NBA draft by the Washington Bullets. And in that draft, you also had Charles Barkley, <laughs> Michael Jordan, John Stockton, Akeem Olajuwon. That's, That's got to feel good. It's it's crazy. Yeah. It is crazy. I mean, the draft was a lot different then. I mean, they did 10 rounds. I got drafted. I was a 99th player pick. And uh, again, that was every everybody's dream is to get drafted. Everybody's dream, if you're playing basketball, is to play the NBA. If you're playing football, then NFL. If you're playing soccer in the premiership, everybody's every kid's dream is to play at that level. And I had the opportunity to play for a little bit. And when I got released, had an opportunity to go to a lot of different countries. I, mean, I was born in England, obviously. So I had a chance to go to a lot of different um, countries to play. And the mentality is, like, oh, I'm gonna go back and play one year somewhere in Europe, then I'm gonna go back and come over and you buy all the American TV so you can play them in Europe and you can play them at home and the stereos and different things like that. And um, like I said, after the first year, you know, I got a couple of year deal down at Portsmouth and stayed there until practically we folded. Yeah, I, I want to say, was it? Um, I want to say, was it four years with Portsmouth? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it was. It was. A, it was a three and a bit. Um, yes, and then I, I'm, I think that the team was going through the the soccer team was going through the, going to the uh, was it the Carlsberg? No, it was, we were the Carlsberg League. Whoever the, the Premier Division One then was Division One, Two, and Three then in yeah. soccer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were they went to they got promoted one year, then they got demoted, and then. A lot of the fans, and I think a lot of the back door, back back room people, were giving Mr. Deacon a hard time. We need to pull the money from basketball, and let's put it more into into the the football club, and let's get. We're a football club, not a basketball club. And, and that was a shame. That's a it shame was. because it was. I think you only had to be there to experience what you guys were generating. Um, yes, that vibe and the impact. It was the impact on on the on the city. Simple yes. as that. It was, well, not only the basketball side, as you, you know, as you mentioned before, you know, Mick, we, we set up the basketball camps, which which grew. Um, and we, it just wasn't a fact of a lot of teams that have the kid, the guys come in, they play the season and go home. I was guilty of that the first year. Played the season, soon as the season ended on a Wembley or on a Sunday, by Tuesday, Wednesday, you're going home. Um, but what we did is that, we, like, again, we made it our home, so we had to give something back besides just the basketball. You know, so we went to schools and we did, you know, health and fitness and we did the, uh, we did summer camp. So we just was we weren't there just for the season. So people would see us in the off season as well. You know, we got close to the soccer club, the soccer team, the soccer players and everybody. So it was, it was a good time, man. It really was, aside from the basketball. And plus we were successful. Maybe not as successful as we could have been or should have been, but we were successful for our time. And, you know, everybody, we all thought we'd be in the South playing for Portsmouth because none of us wanted to get, we all together. We were growing. Um, 
individually, you know, families instead of us being single, guys are getting to their girls or their or their wives or whatever. So we're all growing as family members, and some of the guys are having babies. Alan had uh, Annalise while we we're all together at, at Portsmouth, in between Brighton and us starting at Portsmouth. So everything was growing, um, and like I keep saying, it was a good time. So when that came to an end, could you talk us through that with Portsmouth? Yeah, it was. Uh, Sad, obviously. I mean, none of us kind of knew where we were going to go. So we left Portsmouth, Manchester. Um, I signed a, I signed a couple year deal when I came to Portsmouth. And then when Dan Palmer left, um, Dan Lloyd then became coach. And then Dan, Dan didn't want me, Dan kind of didn't want me to come back. And Mr. Deacon wanted me to come back. And it was a little, not friction, shall we say, but it was just a slight disagreement. We had to sit down and talk. And we sat down and talk and it was all taken care of within minutes um and then when they when we broke up we we're like okay now what so i i personally got you know manchester was always you know, like i said i love manchester at the time at that time jeff jones who i played with became the coach of manchester and he asked me to come back to manchester and i went back there for for a year and then got in a car accident and i didn't play for a couple of years then came back and um ended up going to kingston and then worthing and then we'll, we'll get into that in a little while but yeah, it was a tough time because all of us were a bit younger kind of confused about what we we're gonna do we we're living in club homes we had club cars all those things had to be returned all of a sudden now what um and we all adjusted and everybody some stayed some went on and um but we managed to keep in touch with each other and push each other and the crazy things we end up connecting years later in worthing several of us yeah, and the the a lot of the, um, I guess fans from Portsmouth, we always yes. looked at that Worthing team. Uh, the, yes. the, some of the Portsmouth people were traveling to Worthing yeah. to watch the games, but we oh, always yeah. looked at really? the Worthing team and went, "That's the that's Portsmouth," because yeah, we had you, six guys on the team yeah. from Portsmouth. Yeah, you know, so most of our, you know, over the course of the years, Andrew came, Steve was there, myself, Alan, Mike. Cal Patrick Wells came back. There's six off the top of my head right there that came back and moved down the coast a little bit. Yeah, and we we looked at that. That's, Port, a, that's, that's Portsmouth. Portsmouth. That's Worthing. the Portsmouth yeah. Bears. That's how we people should look at people, people in Worthing say we're Worthing. People in Portsmouth still say, no, it's Portsmouth. That's funny. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And you know what? There is, um, I, I'm, I'm speaking on behalf of Worthing now, um, where you played uh, a pinnacle role in what is still considered the greatest game ever played in Worthing. Um, I don't know if you remember this game, Colin, which was you were playing Thames Valley Tigers. Oh. They had a great kit, didn't they? I love the Tiger kit. We, we beat everybody else. I think we won like 30 in a row that year in the league. And we, we, we lost to them early. And then, you know, we just we, we lost them in the cup final or cup semis. We just, we just, they were just our bogey team. We couldn't beat them. We were down. I want to say nine with 40 seconds to go. It was crazy. One minute left. It was 73, 79. You were down by six. Six. Mike Spade gets the ball at the three-point line. Are, are you worried? No. It, it, we, we, that's how we were, man. We're like, I'm going to tell us, like, this close, we got it. Yeah. It was, it, it's just, it's just how it was. I think we scored 12 points in like a minute and 10 seconds. Win by three. Cleve threw in a half-court shot at the buzzer. I'll never forget that game. Yeah. That was crazy. <laughs> I will. Yep, that was that was because you, you tied the yeah, game. You tied the game. You shot a three, and you got Steve fouled. A, we were down twelve. Steve hit a three to. Steve hit a three to cut it to nine. They missed a one on one. Mike hit a 
three to cut it to might have been Cleve hit one to cut it to nine. Mike hit Steve hit the one to cut it to six. Mike wanted to cut it to three. I got fouled shooting at three, tied it up. They missed another free throw with two seconds left. Threw it to Cleve. Cleve threw in a half court shot, banked it, boom, game. That is and the funny because, like I said, we couldn't beat them. I mean, for whatever reason, you know, teams have their bogey teams. They were a bogey team. Nigel Lloyd and those guys were giving it to us all the time. And all their fans were singing paper champions because we had won the league by then. So they were like paper champions, paper champions, all, and then they were quiet on the way out. Yeah, that is still considered. And then we beat them in the Wembley final. Then we beat them in the Wembley final um, a couple of weeks later. And, I mean, this is 92, 93. Um, so this is the season where you actually get your BBL League MVP. Well. You were MVP that year. Um, but the Worthing guys, they all still taught that is the greatest game ever ever played in Worthing. I'll agree. That's one of the most memorable games I've ever played in. It was it was to, to the last it was just crazy. I don't know how else to describe that. It was it was a it was a great feeling and I still can still see Cleve making that shot. Still see it. Players it just happened last week. You know what's really interesting about what you said just um, observing what you said and I think this highlights Colin's basketball IQ we're talking about a game that you know happened 20 um, years ago sorry 32 30 years ago, years ago. 30 years ago. ago but Colin just <laughs> ran through the last five plays yeah and did I hear right Colin that you said you got fouled to tie the game you got fouled mm-hmm. and you had trying to hit it was, a three so it was three it? free throws yeah, three free yeah. throws. Yeah, three free throws. And I'm, I'm, I'm big on free throws and people hitting them. So you hit all three of those. That's pressure to get I missed enough. I missed enough. Don't hang my head on those three makes. I have missed yeah. a lot. You hit it when it counted. <laughs> you hit it when it counted. Doesn't matter. That is. Yeah, they came down throwing up late in the game. And I was literally, I can just see it. Cleve just took one dribble and bang. Did he call the bank? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it counts. And this was, um, I'm trying to work it out year-wise but this is in the area where you know with the worthing bears you guys actually did a three-peat in the playoffs that was number one yeah that was the first one yeah that was the first year that that year was number one so when that game went down to the wire steve in fact uh, the funny thing is uh Al used to always, Al called Steve rookie. He may still call Steve rookie if he sees him today. He called rookie, he called Steve rookie forever. And again, game right down to the wire, man, right down to the wire. Steve gets fouled just maybe seconds to go, hits two free throws, and we end up winning by one. And then I snuck over Seki at the end. That was like the last play of the game. We end up beating them by one. Uh, but again, we had some battles with those guys. So as you, as we said about the Portsmouth team kind of, immigrated across to Worthing and there was quite a there was quite a, a lot of the contingent there mm-hmm. was the way in which you approached the game and trained and uh, did were you the same type of team or was the dynamic we were probably team? worse because at that team we were a little bit thicker and a bit stronger a little more vet it was just as hard it was just as hard. <laughs> I was speaking to uh and we went out I was speaking to Cal Patrick Wells is our big American player at Mississippi State and in fact, I spoke to him about uh, a couple months ago and we laughed because I still remember a ball going up in the air and I jumped to get it. And the next thing I knew, he was standing over me laughing. I don't know what happened. 
They're just laughing at me talking about your cast. Yeah, I think so. We laughed about that just a couple months ago. It was like that's how practice was, and that's how it was. And if we weren't getting kicked off the court for bat for, for badminton, we'd stay after and we'd do our drills and we'd go through our different games and different competitives. It didn't matter if we were shooting free throws. It was competitive every single day and night. And just talking about badminton, I know we we spoke to Colin before, and I. I don't. I can't remember. What, did we speak before we started recording about yes, badminton? Yeah, yeah. So this was where I, I mean, I've highlighted my lack of uh, enthusiasm for badminton because of the pure lines. The word, but you've yeah. you, you've got legends like Colin Iris standing ready to go on the court, and someone's playing badminton. You got away. It's just not right. That's a disgrace. I used to give the old boys a hard time because after you know after you see them three or four times they come to the gym now if they have the if we practice six to eight by eight o'clock the line up beside the door and by eight minutes and six seconds we're taking the baskets <laughs> down and regardless not so after a while i got friendly with some of the old boys and some of the girls that come because you see them almost every week and then one of them challenged me yeah nah, they spanked me every time i never beat them <laughs> older guy well i say older guys i'm old now but the old boy just beat me up and the woman beat me up all the time at bat- Batman because we just put the t-shirts in the backyard when I was growing up to play Batman at a cookout or something. So I didn't like it, but I learned to respect it more because I had, you know, twice my age just spanking me and laughing at me. <laughs> I, I think I, I think my, um, I don't want to say distaste. Distaste isn't the right word. It's just, I'm not, a, I, I love purist basketball courts. And when you have lots of multiple lines, I'm just not a fan of that. I just love those courts. Um, yeah. But talk- and also we played on carpet. I don't know if you do. Do you remember yes. the carpet? Yes, it was a green carpet, yeah. wasn't it? Yes. They said it would be better for television. That was that was pretty funny too. Well, I mean, was it an actual carpet? Like, I mean, are you yeah. sliding around and getting no, carpet? No, I don't know. They, they would lay the carpet on top of the floor because they said it would be better for television so you wouldn't see all the other lines. And it was literally, it was just... A, I, I don't know if they clamped it at the end. I don't know what they did, but it was, they didn't slide around. But you bounce, you know, you bounce a ball. And you, I know you bounce a ball in your front room before. Imagine oh, playing okay. on that. Never know. Throwing a bounce, throwing a bounce pass on that would skip out of bounds. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, because that Mountain Band Center was a hard floor. In those days, it's that those hard tiles, wasn't it? Well, that's what Jason said. He it's broke his hand on. That, that was yeah. the floor, wasn't it? Just on Mount Batten. He broke his wrist just because of Mount Batten. Yeah. yeah. And unforgiving. Portsmouth Poly had a wooden floor, and that was a great thing. Remember Portsmouth Poly? Yeah. That, well, that, I think we call it St. Paul's, is what it was called. Um, okay. And yeah, those wooden floors are great. Yeah. You can't beat a wooden floor. Um, no. Talking to Jason, he did say a story, and he, I, I don't think he wanted anyone to know this when it actually mm. happened. But um, he was talking about, do you know, you, you guys used to get sponsorship from like, um converse and would get mm-hmm. some shoes like every month or so he said he had a pile of shoes in his room and he went to play a game and he bought two left shoes to the game and he was sat there in the change room just going what do i do because i can't i, don't remember that one. I can't I, he goes he goes if i tell steve nelson everyone's gonna hear it this <laughs> oh, no. so he, he actually said he went to mike spade and said like like Mike, like I've, I've got two left shoes. Can you help me up? And I don't know if any, if you knew this, but he he played that. He, well, he he warmed up. I don't think he. I don't. I think he said he didn't come on, which is probably cool. Shoes? Uh, he had his left shoe on and one of Mike's shoe, right spades shoes, yeah. right shoe. So he had a he had a nine and eleven on. 
was, no, Mike was like a 14, 15. Jason had to be about a nine. Okay. Oh, we knew that. If we knew that, we'd have had, we'd definitely make sure he got in the game. <laughs> the oh, he should have. Lovely. <laughs> I'll tell him that. He'll love that. Oh, yeah. dear. What would be the uh, punishment for, for if you'd have found that out then, Colin? Would you be making him do drills? Getting or? him into the game. Okay. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Oh, that would have been so funny. You can run up and down a bit. <laughs> if only, if only you could wind the clock and go, right, you now know that. It's like, imagine someone coming on with a size 15 shoe on one, on right. one foot. Ever happened to you, Colin? Ever forget your kit or miss something? Uh, I had some shoes taken out of my hotel room once, or one shoe, actually. Oh. In fact, it was our first year at Worthing. Uh, we played in a tournament in Wales, and then in between the yeah, the shoe magically disappeared from my room, so I had to find some shoes that day. Well, if it was the right shoe, you know who did it then. It's Jason. That was it. That was it. <laughs> Came back for a shoe. No, that's that's um that is terrible that, that you just get to that game and think no, what do I what do? Am I gonna do now? What, what am I going to do now? Once when I was younger, I had to play my outside shoes because I forgot my. Uh, game shoes at home so yeah i think everybody goes through that i would imagine not like today when you have your shoes given to you when you get to the door your uniform's hanging up and you know it's washed and everything maybe now for a lot of the guys that play at that that the top level we yeah. had to bring everything take our uniform you know we had to do everything you can either just throw them in a basket we had to take everything home and wash it and make sure you know the wife would take care of everything make sure you have your shorts and your pre-game shorts and your white socks and everything else oh wow see so, so no you, equipment you managers sort of thing and that's one of the things yeah no equipment so you didn't have that moment where you walk in a room and your jersey's on the wall would you not even college, have that for a final obviously high, high school and college and then Manchester Giants when I went back the last time they'd step they, they the game after, up they looked after us that way yeah okay. but yeah, you take your stuff home man bring both uniforms in case you don't know which one we're playing you play a, if you go to a tournament like we playing we home or away like just bring both uniforms we'll see when we get there yeah, he didn't want to make any mistakes. I haven't no. brought my away one. Yeah, right. or the home one. Um, Colin just glazed over something. So just to highlight, um, Colin won state championship for Cathedral High School in 1977. Yeah, wow. Man, you're aging me. I'm old enough. You age me. Don't give the years. Just say I won. <laughs> I won it. And don't give the year. <laughs> it won state championship at some point in 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 history. Um, well, well, that that ties in nicely with a little timeline that I like, which is 1979. The NBA brought in the three-pointer. Matt, I, I, I was, you know, we still talk about that. And the crazy thing about the high school team, we went to three straight finals. We went to three straight state finals. Wow! And wow. Uh, we won one, um, which is it's just unbelievable. We're looking back at it now, but um, the, the introduction of the three-point line changed the game tremendously. You know, there was no three-point line when I was in college. There was a three-point line, obviously, in Europe, but there was no three-point line in, in in college. So everybody's mid-range game was better, my feeling. The game is, is it, I don't think you can compare the game now with all the rule changes and everything, but that three-point line changed the game tremendously. Some to the good, some to the bad, in my opinion. You have kids now who just are, are consistently, all they want to do is shoot threes. Yeah. And then we play a game and, and, and they'll maybe go one for 10, but boy, they hit that one, they're like, yeah, drives me nuts. It's the money ball, money ball statistics, though, isn't it? If you yes. jack up enough threes, you're going to get 
more points at the end of the day. Uh, you yeah, know, um, but, uh, I, I, I don't like it. It's for a, for a fan to watch. It's really dull basketball. It's just the one yeah. thing that drives me nuts though is when I see um, kids or whatever or coaching is they'll walk in the gym and the three is the first one they shoot and then they'll be yes. doing those ten threes. I'm like, guys, just even, just watch. Oh, possibly one of the greatest shooters of all time, Steph Curry. Watch him warm up. He starts shooting layups. Yeah. And then he works his way back. Yes. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's, I'm not a huge fan. Not a huge fan. It's, a it's just a different era, isn't it? Different time. So was that quite impactful then with, with yourself in, in the game? Because obviously, as you say, that that didn't exist at that point. And well, then when you're coming to Portsmouth and they've... Collins rep, rep, had a huge reputation for his three-point ability. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. Well, so you, that's, you, had you know who helped me out a lot with that? Jason. Really? Because, yeah. Well, remember, when I first came to Europe, the key was a trapezoid. So... And that changes your mid-range immediately. So I, most of my game was from 10, 12 feet in, didn't really vary it out to the 15, hit a jumper once in a while, or I'd shoot, I won't say make it, I'd take it, make some of them. But uh, so over the course of the years, it became a normal key. And then with the three-point line, I had to develop more than that because if you post up 6'6", six, six, all of a sudden you're going against 6'8", then they're back up 6'9", six, 6'10", six, so I had to develop more of a face-up game. So my game was more back to the basket when I first came to England. I'd bring the ball down and things like that, but most of my game was back to the basket. And then I had to develop more of a facing the basket. So Jason helped me about that going, he was working there and we'd go to the gym and shoot for hours upon hours upon hours with um, working and facing up to the basket instead of catching the ball with the back to the basket all the time. Not, not all, most of the time. Yeah, that's a completely different gameplay, isn't it? It's yeah. Completely, you're literally facing a different way of the ball in the way. And, and, yeah. and talking about the three-point, I remember a drill Colin used to do um, for us as kids. And it was amazing, but we dreaded it at the same time. And I always look back at it now and just personally, I feel you were just distilling into us just toughness. You know, you got to got to get this ball and i don't know if you remember you're probably just shooting threes and getting practice but we would have to get a hand in your face at the three-point line yeah. we'd have to get the rebound before the ball landed on the floor and then we'd have to pass you as quickly as we could to you and then sprint to you to that and i think it was maybe a minute or two minutes it's harder than it sounds it isn't is it? really hard really hard <laughs> i think yeah. it's if you're if you're doing a casual pass and taking it casually i bet it's quite you know, it wouldn't be, but there was no way you were getting away with not going 100% with Colin. It's like, come on. Yeah, and we used to do with everybody. I mean, we'd get in the gym after practice. We'd say, okay, one dribble left. Get it, pass it out, one dribble. You, you can only take, you play one-on-one, -on -one, you can only get one dribble. Okay, we're having two dribbles. That's what, the kind of things we would do. And Alan used to beat us all up. Steve, all of us would do the same. There'd be a line. If you score, you stayed. If you didn't score, you get to the back of the line. It's that simple. You play and exhausting. I, I definitely remember your training sometimes, but like, all, well, actually, all of them, you were just destroyed, Tired, yeah. just destroyed. But it distilled toughness in you. It it distilled well, that you had to go a hundred percent all the time. If you want to be good, you have to put the work in. Then, like so we also say, it's whether whatever you do, if you put the work in, you you want to get better, you have to put the work in. There's no shortcut. And I mean, I I don't know if this is a silly question or not, but. Do you, can you appreciate um, from where you are today that everything that you did for us and Portsmouth 
in the 80s and you playing again in the 90s has inspired what we're doing now in that's beautiful. That's, 2024. It's like, a buzz to even hear that. It's, it's a buzz to hear it. It's it's a beautiful thing to hear. You know, that, that whatever I did with that game, it's a silly game. I always say that silly ball lob and they see a lot and it's beautiful that I got to pass some things out to other, others and then they're passing it on to others. So when I get a message from a kid that I coach at nine years old, is it because I don't do the Facebook, the wife does the Facebook stuff. She's like, oh my God, I got another message from this kid or whatever. I'm like, oh, God, okay. They went to your camp when they were nine. It happens all the time, honestly. It, it, several times a year, I'm hearing from someone, males, females, the kids have named their sons after me, whatever, things like that. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful feeling. It's nice. Well, I, I, I think it's um, just highlights the the way, you know, you've just ins inspired basketball um, throughout the UK is what I'd say. No, yeah. Thanks, man. I appreciate those words. And um, it. it was it was <laughs> just before we came on, the story I told you was, you know, when I went to play National League and someone was like, I'm having number 10. That is mine. It's like, oh, OK. Number 14, Colin Irish is number 14 there. Bam, I'm having Colin Irish. There we go. No one's saying it's going to be 14 you in a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> no one was taking that off me for the rest of my playing time. But I'm not on my own when I know that. I know, I know loads of people who wear number 14 because they're wearing Colin Irish's number. Thank you. I've got kids here that wear it. They told me. Uh, the young kid that I used to work at here plays at the University of West Virginia, he was number 14. I'm like, thanks, man. That's... Anytime you hear something like that, it's an honor. It's just nice to hear. And but fourteen wasn't wasn't your first choice though, was it? Because no, I played in I played in thirty two. Um, growing up, thirty we used to play thirty two on thirty two at home, thirty three on the road. That's how it used to be. And then I went to Bowling Green. I was number thirty two. They gave me that. So when I came to Europe, I wanted to be number thirty two as well. And they were like, "We only go to 15. I'm like, "What? Okay." So I wanted to be fifteen. And then uh, Ed Bona, who was our it was our center at Warrington and Man United. Um, he's living in the Boston area now. I actually spoke to him recently, last year. Um, he is—he was number fifteen. He was there already. So, okay, what's next? So I took fourteen. That's so I ended up with fourteen, and it was my number from there. And th thirty-two is—is that? I'm, just, I'm making an assumption. Is that because of Magic? Yeah, Magic was Magic was one of my heroes growing up, and that was his number. And then. Um, Crazy as it may seem, Bird was 33, but uh, I didn't mind. I was more of a Magic fan, but you know, that's how 32 and 33 came about for me. I mean, Magic, arguably one of the greatest guards of all time. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, right. I, I, again, I don't know if this is a silly thing, but if, if you met Magic. Yeah, I. crazy story. So do you remember when Magic retired? Dude, he, he picked up the contact AIDS. And then he bought a team to Europe. They, we played in London. We played, so right before the game, the wife got the Magic book and I was reading it. So we're playing against Magic and he has like a Mark Aguirre, Rambis. He's got like five or six NBA guys. He toured through Europe. They were playing games. And late in the game, I'm covering Magic at half court. Like, oh, amazing. You right, I'm covering him. And I, I don't even know to this day. I tried to cross over and I tipped the ball. I'm like, oh, right? <laughs> And I'm at the top and I have like a breakaway and the, I hit the ball. He's a nice steal, young ball. Like, yeah, all right, that was luck. Anyway, so after the game, my wife, Paula, went up to him and says, 
uh, Magic, 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 you gotta sign this book for me. My wife's the, my, my husband's the one that stripped you at half court. He's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so what about that? So uh, yeah, I played against Magic. Fortunate enough to play and met him a couple of times. Yeah, um, unbelievable. So, wow. But again, you get you meet people like that. It's like, you know, you see them all the time on television or you see them all the time at a game or whatever. And uh, you get and meet them. It's like, uh, what do I say? Hi. I'm Colin. How are you? What do you say? But real nice guy. But again, it was a different time. Those guys, those guys weren't social media. It was all genuine. I feel like the older, the older players were more genuine because basketball was magic and bird. And then Jordan come along and a lot of people here say that's, that saved the NBA. Yeah. So all those, guys, all those guys were heroes to me. And back, like I said, growing up, our summer workouts were with the Cavaliers. We went to a gym called John Carroll in Cleveland area, and that was that was where I would get beat up the very first time on a basketball court with those guys, and they would beat they would literally beat us up because that was their workouts too. Couldn't do that nowadays because of social media and people would be taking selfies. That was just a genuine thing. And then some of those guys were, hey guys, we're having a party Friday night, come on over. Can you imagine that as a as a 16, 17 year old man, young man, you got Cleveland Browns or the Cleveland Cavs saying, come over to our house for a party. I, Okay, you know, but it was it was it was different times then. Wow, I mean, it's just silence, isn't it? Just yeah, like I, mean, I, I played with magic, a strip of magic, like oh, I, it's that was our feeling when we saw you at the camps. See, so oh, did you strip me at all? You didn't strip me, did you? <laughs> no. Might have made you run a little bit extra if you did. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. If, if we if there was anyone vaguely getting close to doing anything, you'd make them do extra work. Simple as that. <laughs> Like there was no chance of us showing you up in any sh shape or form, but that's how we looked on it. That's why you know when Paul was oh, saying thanks, earlier, like, like again, appreciate all the kind words you guys are saying. Appreciate it, man. But it, it was just pivotal, wasn't it? And that the team, the the era, the way you all embraced the fans in the same way that we all embraced you. Yeah. The way that that. So it's awesome worked. that you guys are keeping it going too. That's beautiful. Beautiful. Hopefully, I can get back to a game sometime definitely be in touch when i get back to the uk over the next few years oh that would be amazing i mean i i i'm i'm sure you would you would love the um the ports of force games because it is literally the players that you coached and now organizing be, yeah. all of that organizing be, all of that there'd be something else yeah i mean who's, who's involved on the, on the management side of it any of the old school guys there's a guy, uh, the chairman's Rob Milner. I don't know if that name rings a bell. There's two brothers, Rob Milner and Tom Milner. Mm -mm. Um, I think I mean, they went to some camps, but they also did stuff with Jason, didn't they? When Jason was doing the, the fire. fire. They okay. doing some stuff so, there as well. So but, the torch keeps passing on. All, all of, all of, keeps passing. yeah, all of the guys who are doing stuff at the moment, we would always have been at like Mickey Burns Saturday morning. Or the to the hoop camps and stuff like that. I mean, the to, to the hoop camps uh, got to be some of the best camps of like yeah. the South Coast. I mean, I the memories we've got from that. You used the to get assigned a coach there. Yeah, the memories that I have from there. The guys that used to come down. And, you know, we had Trez come down. We Carmelo used to come down. Al would come over. Mike would come over. Obviously, Steve, Alan Prescott. Remember all those young guys that come. That was just a. It was just us getting together and just ha and just having a good time with the kids, and us having a good time with ourselves too. It was just it was like says it, it was very successful. We didn't know when Mick approached me about it because I didn't live far from from uh, from Nick. 
when Nick approached me about let's try and do a camp, we were like, man, do you think this has a chance of doing anything? And we, yeah, all right, let's give it a shot. Sports of grammar school. All right, let's give it a shot. And then literally took off. It was, uh, it was, we had kids from all over. We had kids coming in from Europe to come to the camp over, over the years. It was, it's just, uh, and it took off. Do you think, like do I said, my youngest Darcy still she's still upset that she couldn't get a chance to come. Even though I moved back to the state, she's upset she couldn't come to the hoop camp. Would you think that gave you the taste for coaching? Um, yes and yes and no, because coaching is a commitment. It, it, it's it's it gave me a taste that I wanted to give back to the younger kids for sure. Whether it was through coaching, whether it's through camps, whether it's going into schools, I always wanted to be involved in helping kids, helping the youth. Um, and but that was that was definitely part of it, but I'm not sure if that's the only thing. You know, I worked with kids, came back here, worked with the Boys and Girls Club here, got a lot of chance to work with the kids, then got into the coaching side here. Um, I, it was just it was definitely part of the process. Ah, all right, excellent. I mean, it's, it's it it seems sort of synonymous when you look at it now and you see what you were doing then. It all makes sense, but at the time, obviously, you were just. I might say a bit like Jason, you were just running with, oh, well, let's do Yeah, this we're just, then. we're just, hey, what are we doing now? We're going to run a camp, hey, what are we going to do? Okay, season's up. Okay, let's get together for camp. And yeah, it was just something that we all didn't enjoy doing, um, which, which made it even, obviously, when you enjoyed anything you do, it makes it that much more, as I said, enjoyable. It's interesting how, like, when you were talking about setting the To The Hoop camp, it was like, is this going to work? Because we were just like, we just turned up as kids, just going, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. So, the, for those who don't know, the to, Ho- the to the Hoop camps was it was a, an entire week where you literally just went to school and did basketball. And it, I think I'm not, I can't remember what time it started, but it started in the morning. Breakfast was at eight. Yeah, yeah, and then we would be done at six in the evening. After dinner, we'd have the we'd have the game. We'd have dinner at five, and then we'd have the games from six to maybe eight. So it was twelve hours basically of non-stop basketball yeah. and eating and yeah and you would be trained by all the individual coaches uh yes. throughout the days or on certain days and then you would have a um you get us an assigned a coach can you remember that you got a sign i always got assigned steve nelson that's why i like i love steve nelson i was he was always <laughs> okay. my coach um so um i haven't told him uh, i i'm gonna tell him this story when he comes on but um, at the end of the camps, everyone used to sign autographs. And mm-hmm. I went up to Steve Nelson with, with my basketball and said, Steve, can you just hold that ball, please? And he, and he held it and he goes, what do you want me to do with it? I just went, no, just hold it because I'm hoping that your skill is going to go into the ball. <laughs> a bit like, you know, um, Space Jam. Oh, Space Jam, yeah. A bit like that. And, and I can remember him like cuddling the ball, going, yeah, there you go. I think all the magic's there now. And I, I remember just walking away going, Yes, if I hold on to this ball now. That's what it's all about right there. That story right there tells it all. You know, still and you say about me remember things, you remember that. That's awesome, man. Yeah. And um but the thing is with the two hoop camp you had best uh one on one player, two on two player, free throw shooters. There was a wasn't there a dunk competition at one point? Was there maybe on the eight foot ring or something like that? No, somebody's gonna get hurt doing trying to dunk competition. <laughs> but then there will be a, if you got into the all-star team for the kids, you got yeah. to play the coaches. I think on a, on the Wednesday yeah. or Thursday or something Wednesday. like that. No, the last the last night we played the coaches. Yeah, it was one of the last things we did the night before we ended camp. And everyone got the to the hoop camp stuff. Uh, sorry, the t-shirt and stuff like that. 
Funny um, story about that T-shirt. So um, I wish I could. I wish I, I could. Wish I could remember the. the there was a, a camper that came to camp. That was he wanted to be an art teacher. So year one, we gave out just a lettering to the hoop. There was no logo on it. The year, the second year, um, Mick worked something out with the kid or whatever that he wanted. He he designed a logo. He found a picture of me in a paper, and he put the logo on. But we did so. Come Wednesday, we'd get the shirts like Wednesday, so we give them out at the end of the day or end of the week. Was a plan. Wednesday comes, no t-shirts. Um, Thursday comes, no t-shirts. Now everybody knows that they've used my logo as the logo for To The Hoop, but me. And I'm and everybody's winding me up, you know, I'm like, man, we don't get these t-shirts, so we're gonna mail them out. And I'm going in, I'm calling people about the t-shirts and I'm and everybody's looking at me. Nobody's worried about it but me. So the very day we're giving out the t-shirts, the young man did the logo, they sent the t-shirts off and then he presented me with the shirt because that was a that was a picture of myself that he turned into the logo that's, that's cool. how the logo came about that's cool I wish I, could remember, I wish I could remember his name if he's listened reach out that was that's and that, very and then, cool and that, I still use that logo now I, I, oh I right it. yeah I did some to the hoop stuff over here got involved with some workouts did some camp things but uh, then I was going to get into the coaching side but then I wanted to see my girls because my both my girls played basketball volleyball and track and i didn't want to miss that so um did some to the hoop camps here for years did to the hoop camps the to the hoop went international yeah, wow. did. so did, your daughter did. did get to go to one of your camps pardon me so your daughter did get to go to one of your camps she was more into volleyball then so ah. she concentrated on volleyball she went away she went away to college and played volleyball the younger one but uh the other one with the chloe the elder was more into the basketball side of it she's a little bit older she went to college to play basketball at Lake Erie. Oh wow! And and we there was a few of us um, who always especially look forward at the to the hoop camp. It's definitely one of the highlights oh, yeah. for me. Where and we would be asking it on day one. We'd asking Colin, Colin, when are you bring in the clothes in, when are you bring in the clothes in, and you bring the clothes in, and you'd be able to yeah. buy like I I still remember having the best shorts I've ever had bought from Colin these black Converse shorts and you'd go on the courts and you'd be like these are Colin Irish's shorts yeah and they fit you yeah, so we well had, as well uh, didn't they, they fit over you so the years well. Champion came with some things they would give us things and then um, Converse and then and one would give us different things we're like we're just gonna take it down to the camp see if anybody's interested like I said we'll be gone in two days gone like what those again good memories good memories yeah and i i got to got to ask um i mean uh god bless him mickey Byrne. oh bless his heart man rest in peace mick what, very good very good what what are your memories of mick any any funny stories with mick man me and mick used to go at it all the time all <laughs> the time whether whatever it was just a beautiful soul um love mick love mick like he's my older brother he was a it was a good man just us having spending time together. We spent, you know, I was I was a mix house. With, I was a mixed house when OJ Simpson's uh, verdict came out. We went, we had a meeting that day about the camp, about basketball, and how we're going to do what we're going to do. And then OJ Simpson thinks on the TV. We didn't talk anything about basketball. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think I might have left that day without us even talking about basketball. But um, we spent a lot of time together because Mick was involved in Portsmouth. Mick was involved in Solon. Like I said, he lived. We live close together. Um, 
surely missed in the basketball circles. He, he gave basketball so much. I don't think he'll ever be appreciated how much he did for basketball in the UK. Um, and unfortunately, that's just how that's how it is. But there's a lot of guys that did a lot for basketball in the UK. That I don't think we get a lot of credit that they deserve. And Mick definitely being one of them. Yeah, I agree with that. And beautiful, beautiful man. I, I mean, I've not, I've, I've not really ever voiced this before. Um, and I just think, just for me, there's a a light in basketball that isn't there anymore. Um, yes, since especially since in South. Passed away. I don't think people realize that outside the South Coast, definitely in the South Coast, without Mick being around. Yeah, and you definitely. know, it, it's it's um it's really interesting. It's more you know when I'm playing, I'm I'm thinking about all, lots of things, and it doesn't come in my head. When I'm coaching, it's really odd. I can hear Mick say stuff like "Good out," where are they scoring from? I mean, can you remember that? Yeah. Good out. Where, well, you can where are the gaps? Right. Yeah, I can. I can. Right I can hear him, and yeah. um. It's really interesting because as a coach, I'll even get, not that anyone sees this, I've never voiced this actually, but I'll even as a coach be getting emotional standing on the sidelines because, you know, Mick was such a huge impact in my life. Um, and it was only when you said, mm. when he passed away, it was like, Paul, he's like a father figure. You've known him since like five years old. And, you know, even we had um, a, a cup final um, against Portsmouth versus Southampton a few weeks back. And I, I remember just I'm standing there and just think it, Mick just comes in my mind quite a lot, mm -hmm. quite often. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the reason Mick came in his mind on that occasion, Colin, is because Paul was thinking, what can I say to the ref to wind the ref up just so that I can get a foul called? Yeah. That's what you were thinking, yeah. wasn't it? hundred percent. Yeah. He said, to, he, he said to me once, he goes, um, because I was, I was asked after help coaching, and so um, he, I, um, he was, I was his assistant coach for a little bit, um, and he went, "Good, I want you to stand up and get a technical foul right now." And I was like, "What do I do?" And he goes, "Just say anything, but be really aggressive to the referee." I was like, "Okay, yes, Mick." Stood up, did it, and he goes, "Now shut up and watch." And it was amazing because all did of you a get sudden, the did you I got, get the tea? I, yeah, yeah, I got the tea sat down and then he said now watch and don't say a word for the rest of the game and all of a sudden all the calls started coming and i was like you've got the game of basketball and mix playing another psycho psychological game, psychological game yeah. like it's alongside big. it um, i imagine there's a lot of people in the south coast that are playing basketball because of mick are involved in basketball because of mick you know you can say myself you can say alan steve and all those guys but I wouldn't have been involved as much if it wasn't because of Nick. I can easily say that. I wouldn't have been involved with the camp and the little things we did in the community if it wasn't because of Nick. You know, you do those things as a club, not because you have to, because, okay, guys, go down to Benetton's and give some tickets away or go into town and give some tickets away. That's different. But Mick actually didn't even make us. Mick just had us involved in other things outside of just the basketball side of being visual for some of the kids to see some of the kids to meet some of the kids have shoot around with layups whatever um away from just the game and i imagine there's a very very large majority of people in the south that would never be playing basketball what's good nick wouldn't be involved not just playing because there's so much more as you know now than just playing there's so much more involvement in putting a game together a schedule and all those other things is like i said so many people are involved in basketball on the south coast because of nick rest in peace yeah and you know, I, I'm I'm laughing a little bit to myself now because I don't know as a player if you ever th 
thought about it, but did you ever realise that any time Portsmouth were on TV um, and it went to the commentator, Mick was always walking past the always commentator. Around. Oh, yeah. Was... You got to give us TV time, Mick. <laughs> Mick, I don't remember a guy named Dave Moss was one of our managers. Mick had him doing that too. Moss was always on the television with the cameras around. The Moss Man, yeah. yeah we Moss called him man. the Moss Man, yeah. Do you remember yeah. the Moss Man? Yeah. I remember Moss Man. <laughs> yeah, I I actually think, I don't know who told me this, that he became a fireman. Um, and there was someone who was like, so he like literally saved someone's life. And he was oh, like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, it's, you, you hear things like that and you think, wow. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, Mick always always in the background uh, for that. And the the to the hoot camps. I mean, everyone who went, um, we always look at look back on those camps fondly, don't we? Oh, 100 percent. Boys and girls. We had boys and girls. I don't even know we could do that now. Remember the girls stayed on one side, the boys stayed on the other side of the, of the campus, and we were right in the middle. It was uh, yeah, in a big just a big auditorium. Everybody just bring your sleeping bag. Let's go. Yeah, it was. We were in yeah. the theater. I think we slept in the theater most of the times, from what yeah. I remember, like a wooden theater. I I yeah. never stayed over. I never ever stayed over. I was always dropped off, picked up in the mornings and evenings. Good for you. You probably got more rest than everybody else if you stayed away from there. <laughs> well, I was always jealous, Colin, because I would always hear the stories before coming out. Like we did this. Was, oh. Well, the thing is, it finished at whatever time, but you had an open sports hall. Yeah. Well, the gym was open. Yeah. Yeah. So everyone was still playing. No, we would go and play. So we've and... touched on this um, with other people previously, but access in terms of sport, in terms of accessing a court, to physically yeah. get your hands on a ball, and get in front of a ring and everything like that, that's always one of the biggest hurdles in basketball, isn't it? And yes. It, and, it always has, and it always has been. I know you said we were, like, we're waiting for people with badminton courts and stuff, but that it, does, won't, it does, won't grow to the level it needs to until that's accessible to many. Yeah. You know, we seem to be going, we, England seems to be going through the ups and downs of basketball for so much. And I don't know, it just doesn't seem like it, it's ever given an opportunity to take off. I feel like it should. I don't, I don't know why they don't study other Europeans teams and how they, how do they run their leagues and things like that. It's, yes, it's a competition, but it was always a competition of, you know, the haves and have nots, the have nots being jealous of the haves at the top level. And then instead of trying to pull up, they want to try and pull down. And it doesn't all come down to the money, no. but it comes down to the organization, how you treat people at the end of the day. It does seem there's some fracturing in, certainly in the, yes. U, in the UK between who owns what and who can run what yeah, and where the funding understand. comes from. There's so many ball players in London. Look at all the things that Jimmy Rogers and did in Brixton and things like that. And he'll never get the credit that he did what it should have deserved. Joe White, all those guys, Andrew's still in London, they're still trying. It's just, there seems to be a constant battle of, like you said, having access to a gym. And then if you have access to the gym, somebody else next to you is jealous because you have access to the gym and then you're winning because the kids are putting in more time. Like, no, this is how it has to go to be successful. So I think it was Simon, wasn't it? In uh, Simon Couteau in France said that the, in France, what they do is the local principality will either designate one team or one main team who they say that's your court and then you have to deal with the scheduling you deal with all the things and access so you can choose whether you rent it out to badminton or not yeah that's not yeah and yeah. But, and they maintain it but at the same time they're the ones who have the keys and have the access initially because they say we know that you will run it and you will properly but it's not only that it's the governing bodies have to get behind it for some reason it just seems like the governing bodies have to get behind it you know um 
And again, it's not about money, but if you have to look after a facility, if you have to pay the bills, it's still costs. If you have to get the right people in, it's still costs. And until that happens, it's going to be a secondary sport. I can't yeah, help think, imagine if Mickey got given a court. He'd be like, oh. no one's coming in here except for basketball. They would be, yeah. they'd be paying yeah. them. Everyone would be yeah. getting taxed. Oh, you're wearing white shoes. You're going to pay an extra pound. You're wearing uh, not that correct thing. You pay 50p extra. <laughs> He'd have everything, everything roped yeah. in. You want to use the vending machine. You pay 20p. Then if you would buy How's something. How's Alex doing? How's Alex doing? Yeah, he's doing very well. He's doing very mm. well. He's still he's still playing, which is, which is good. Is he really? Um, wow. He, uh, the, the, the team that I said I wore number 14 for, Alex played on that team as well. We were called the Ports of Smugglers. Um, and I want to say that was like, oh, maybe eight years we were playing National League. Um, and we, we had to start in Division Four. We got up to Division Two. Um, and we were always around the top of Division Two. Um, uh -huh. it's kind of where we were. Um, and yeah, no, he's doing very well. He's still playing local good. league basketball. He's he's looking good. He's looking good. Um, that was when you when you see him again, please. We'll do. Yeah, hundred percent. That was your yellow kit, wasn't it? That you were playing in yellow kit and smugglers. Yeah, wasn't it was it? really it was really strange because when we saw like these guys playing, it was like you know blue and white, and then yep. which ties in makes sense, certainly with the football as well. It all ties in, yes. and then and then all of a sudden it became blue and yellow. So even now it's still blue and yellow. Blue, yellow, and green. Well, it's a psychedelic colors new generation, man. <laughs> what was your favorite kit color that you ever played in your in your career? Your, or favorite your favorite kit, kit? Color? Or just kit? Or kit? Just kit as as, kit. A, as a whole. The man, I thought the Man United one was cool because we had the basketball version of the soccer team. Oh wow! And it was Man United. I thought that was cool. Portsmouth was cool, obviously, because Portsmouth FC, same thing. Yeah. So yeah, those had to be my two favorite ones that I played in when I was in Europe, definitely. And that's probably the right, the right way to do it. I mean, you yeah. look at like the huge clubs like Barcelona, Real Madrid, they do the same thing with their football teams yeah. and Basel teams. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, the, the force kit's kind of harkening back to that in a way, isn't it? I mean, I think they should go straight back to the classic Portsmouth FC kit. That's how I would do it. That'd be nice. But I don't think anybody's doing it anymore. New generation, man. Look at, like I said, this past summer, but I wanted to get a United top because I was talking about Man United. And when I got to the store, they were green. I'm like, that's not Man United green, like a metallic green. It's not, no, it's reds, red devils. Uh, it's a different world now, Colin. The All-Star yeah. All-Star Games got an LED floor with you watch lights. Watch it, yeah. The floor. That you is... saw? Did you watch it over the? You watch it over the weekend? Yeah. I, yeah, it was. It's Are you blast. a fan? Are you a fan of that? Uh, I keep saying I trying to be no. <laughs> I prefer I prefer old old school wooden floor, but that's because I'm old. Yeah, but it's <laughs> just know? it just feels really bright. It feels. I remember years ago saying this. So I remember years ago saying this. They're throwing so much money into it that it's going to be like a. You ever see a NASCAR interview or a race car interview where they're changing the hats, and they've got the sponsors all over their jerseys and things like that. I think that's where basketball is going to be coming at shows because I mean they're they're spending so much money on the next one or the next person or the trying to win the championship. But only so many championships you can win. These guys are getting paid ridiculous amount of money, hundreds of millions of dollars to play a game, which is good for them. But that money's got to come from somewhere. Mm. 
Yeah, it's so, it, I, I just found it distracting. It's just the yes, basketball is such a fast pace. And when you're certainly spectating, it's not watching the ball. It's all the off the ball moves. That oh, the watching, other stuff. isn't it? And you, can't, and you can't see that because there's now there's flames going on and flames else going, there's lights going. There's when the person moves, the the lights are under their feet. And that's well, just me though. But I did quite like the in-season tournament um, courts where they just made something a little bit different. And they yes, just, I didn't like that either. You didn't ah. Mm-mm. So what do you think of the yeah. tournament concept itself, Colin? I like the tournament. Love the tournament side. The more games you can see, the better. I think. I I, I didn't. I wasn't sure I'd like it, but. It's like a European Cup, isn't it? It's like the FA Cup, I guess, or, yeah. or European Championship. So I liked it, um, but I, I, I think it was more popular than than they thought it would be. Um, and I think it got more popular really than the finals. It kind of people switch off by the finals. I don't know if they've had too much by the end of the year, and it depends who's on in the final as well. But I like the tournament. Yeah, I like the fact that every game is a game seven. Mm-hmm. It is, and anyone who's used to european style of football and stuff like that you'd you 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 just look at it and go okay brilliant you know you can have that underdog win the game yes and yes that's it the other team are going home whereas in a, in a seven game series it's like oh okay you know usually well, the better team wins in the yeah. seven game series usually well i actually just pointed to the picture that paul had of you holding the trophy because that's one of the things that I really liked about that in-season tournament is where they had the trophy and they put it in the middle and made everyone walk past it. Walk past it. Yeah, and yeah, And when they did that, you saw the psychology of all the players suddenly change because they suddenly went, oh, that's a real thing and I want well, it. And it obviously I'm never... Sure that, I'm sure that the money... Wasn't each player got a million dollars or something like that? I'm sure they had something to do with it too. In the final, if they in, won in the it, final, yeah, like that, yeah. Five, yeah, right? $500,000 for each Half of the players, mil. yeah. For the, the winner, five hundred thousand for the winner and two fifty for the loser, was it? Yeah, something, something crazy like, that. like that. And then in the quarters, or whoever got knocked out got hundred, hundred k. Yes. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they weren't unhappy to be there, but that you definitely saw the play. Some of the players were trying to ignore it. Others wanted to touch it. And well, the guys that hardly play were really more into it because they know they're not playing much. They want that million. Yeah. <laughs> but what what was the what were the ceremonies like when when you were winning trophies? What what was it like? Was it just at the end of the game or uh, what happened? At the end of the game, we just you know we just celebrate. We go to the locker room and celebrate. I mean, and that, and really we go to the reception. I try to explain to like when we play in Europe, you know, after every game, you go to you go to the reception, you go to the bar, and you're mingling with the fans. You're having a you may go at it on the court, but you are actually going into win, lose, or draw. I remember being into in the reception in the bar after the game many times being eat off because you just took an L but not having that because you can't show that in the bar you have to go and either socialize hey hey, thanks for coming and we just lost a big bonus thank you very much for coming (laughs) take care so yeah (laughs) but it's a different vibe you know whereas here you play the game you go home in Europe you play the game you have a reception either the the Mountbatten man the Mountbatten bar used to be packed after a game fans parents girlfriends friends everybody would be up there for we close it down you know and that's part of the game and that was part of the game in england which is which was fun to me i enjoyed that part of it as well and and that was the the one place where um i remember mick would be like right good al you can come in here like me and my brother we can go in here but Uh you guys you gotta sit down shut up don't miss stay behind. Out the way. Stay out stay the, way. Out the way. But we'd yeah. be walking into like the reception, and it would be like, "Wow, we're like." It was almost for us. It was like, "Wow, we're this is VIP." 
And then I can't, we kind of took it for granted, took it for given, oh, we got to go up here. You know what I mean? Looking back, it was so, it was, it was, it was nice. Because otherwise, imagine doing something like that here, it would be out of control. Imagine mm-hmm. doing it anywhere nowadays, it'd be out of control. It wouldn't be the, it wouldn't be the same. Actually, just thinking about um, some some of that in Ports of my my brother told me he used to um, him and a guy called Steve, they used to be the water boys for Portsmouth. Oh, yeah. So so you they would be handing you the water bottles, and um, he said one of the things you always did, you you would give you the water bottle and you'd get it, and the first thing you do is squirt a bit back at him. <laughs> yeah, I did that a lot. But, yeah, but um, you, I'm like, you enjoyed the game, squirt. Like, yeah. <laughs> But for the, in their perspective, they were like, Colin Irish just squirted me with water. That is amazing. And at the end of the game, they would say like, or maybe at the end of the season, you, you would give them a sweatband, say, thanks for giving me my water. And they'd be like, wow, I've got a sweatband. That is amazing. Awesome. Yeah. That's it's getting warm. That's fun. That's nice. Oh, nice yeah. again. But that, those, all of those, all of those memories and everything that you have of that. So Jason popped into the, the studio a few weeks ago. And I said, have you got any questions for Colin? And it's actually prevalent for this moment because he said, was it as glitzy and glamorous as I remember it? Because he was young and obviously in that right. position that he was in, he was like, I'm just living, the, this is an unbelievable dream. Like we'd go places and everyone was going to the clubs and it was such a team thing. Yeah. And he said, if you can ask Colin, was it really that, or was it just that I was really young and it wasn't? Was it as glamorous at that time as because you guys were on top of the world? So we just, like I said, we just hung out together and had a good time. Whether it was at somebody's house, whether it was all of us going out, whether it was just going to a pub for lunch, we just, yeah, it was fun. Honestly, it was fun. It was some fun times, man. Hard work which made the fun even more fun, I think, because we worked so hard. And whether it was Jason or whether it was Masai, remember Masai was part of that group. He was one of the young reps that came guy or Steve or Trevor, whoever it was, it didn't matter. We're all together, a lot of fun. So uh-huh. maybe it was grammar and glitzy. We just went along and had a good time. And if you're with us, you're with us. It didn't matter who you were. He told us some stories where like you won a championship and it's like, Paul, there we go. We're all jumping in the pool with the champagne. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We had a, uh, we had, we're, we're going in and we had, okay, we were, I think we were down three games with five to play. And we're like, listen, we're not going to win it this year. If we happen to win it, everybody's come to the house and they're shaving their heads. <laughs> well, as it turned out, Kingston, Kingston lost three of five and we won five of five, ended up winning the game by, Wow. We ended up winning the league by one game. Everybody comes to the house and we're like, are we really going to do this? Everybody, people were coming over to the house and weren't even part of the team shaving their heads. That's the kind of atmosphere it was with us. Everybody. Buddy of mine had a goatee. Cut. Everybody had to cut something off when they came over. So it was that. that's the kind of atmosphere it was. And we just had, it was a nice family atmosphere to get together. Well, that's a perfect example. Jason was one of them. Russell Taylor, we look we look pretty scary walking outside. All of us were bald heads for about two weeks. Yeah, Jason said some of you look more. He, he felt like you you pulled it off, but he looked like a thug. Oh, he remembers that. Does he yeah. remember that? that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Yeah, we did. Imagine all of us walking through town like that now. <laughs> and this is. I'm just going to show you a, a picture here, Colin. This is um, of I believe of that season. Uh, oh yeah. 
Yeah. That's a, that's a picture Here's of you Alan on the bench. Ray. Alan's trying to tell you something. Yeah, because I think that's Palmer in front of him, and that's Dan Lloyd. So that was, that was the first year in Portsmouth. I don't know. Where is that? Is, um, that's at Manhattan. I'm not sure because of the seats. Oh, maybe. Yeah, apparently it is at Manhattan. Is it? Yes. I remember that picture. Yes, I do. If wow. you type your name in, if you Google yourself, it's one of the pictures that comes up and you go, That's oh, a, that is a great photo. Yeah, the, oh, there's a, actually a guy, um, his name's Paul, but um, he used to be a journalist, so we, we call him Scoop. And oh. um, he used to go to every single um, home game for Portsmouth, away if he could. And then w when you went to Worthing, he was going to every home game, every away game if he could. And on Wikipedia, he actually wrote, um, I mean, it's a masterpiece, really. But if you go on Wikipedia, type Portsmouth FC Basketball Club, he wrote mm -hmm. that entire thing. He breaks down gameplays at certain points. Oh, really? Season. Yeah, it's brilliant. But that picture was on there um, where I guess Alan Cunningham, did he coach at some point? Well, what happened is that, like I said, I told you earlier that Joe Moore got into a car accident. For some reason, uh, Danny Palmer at the time wanted to bring in another guard. Remember, we could only play two Americans. Allen was actually leading us in scoring and rebounding. We couldn't figure out. I don't know if Danny Palmer didn't like. I don't know what. The, I, I don't know what happened there. But we did not want Allen to be off the team. So Allen didn't play for a little while. I think he went over to Greece, if I'm not mistaken, for part of the season and played there. But he didn't play the whole season with us for the, the first year because Palmer brought over a guy named Jose Slaughter. Jose Slaughter. Yes. Oh yeah. my goodness. So Jason said yeah. about Slaughter, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. So he bought over Jose Slaughter because the coach wanted a guard, but we we, we were skilled enough we didn't need that. We didn't need anything. We were that I mean we were that good. Joel got in a car accident. He almost lost an eye. And then Steve and Trevor and Michael, hey, all those guys were coming through Andrew Bailey, all those youngsters. So we didn't need another piece because we had all the pieces, man. So then Palmer chose to not just Al, then Al would play in some games and wouldn't play in other games. And it was it was not fair on Al, in my opinion. Like I said, he was leading us in scoring and rebound. I don't know any teams that would cut or drop their leading scoring and rebounder, but that's beyond me. That's, that's a decision they chose to make. And then Jose Sarter came in, and then the, the vibe just right there, like, for the team. Okay. And talking about another player, I just really want to get your opinion on him. Uh, again, God bless him. Um, definitely a fan favorite as well was uh carl tatum yes carl's living in jacksonville carl was solid carl came over year two he was he was playing for burn bullets burn when he came down carl was a solid point guard man very 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 straight on the hard work on the court and he just came in and he mixed in with us too and that's why we was successful we won the league three years in a row that year in fact we won the league our last year we won the league, if I'm not mistaken, we we're the we we're the last team to win the league with the, with the Americans. Our Americans were our sixth and seventh men. Oh, right. Oh, really? so that's really going away from the, you know, yeah. the standard. Because yeah, it was yeah. to bring you two Americans in, wasn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, they came off the, Mark came off the bench. Um, Mark Glass, Rich Strong, you know, even late on, um, they, came, they came off the bench. You know, not all of them were on time. Sometimes they started, sometimes they didn't. Well, Steve took some of the minutes as he grew to become the player they became. You know, we didn't, our, our Americans didn't start, which is probably the only team in the league whose Americans did not start. One would start sometimes, sometimes either of them would start. Wow. Lawrence Hell, Danny Williams, those, those guys, they came off our bench. 
we still won the league. That highlights how good the team was, really, yeah, doesn't it? That really yeah. highlights. If the standard good. was you bring the two Americans in and, and build the rest around that, and they're like, look, you're on the bench. Wow. Um, mm. But something else um, I, I wanted to, you know, just talk about was your your time playing for England as well, um, mm -hmm. because. Um, <laughs> I think there was a few England players for, for Portsmouth FC Basketball Club. Um, I know the I'm quoting Jason here when he first walked in to your training session. He said, I walked into the training session and it was like the entire England team were there playing. <laughs> it was. I mean, we Carl was there, Dan was there, Alan was playing. I was come become eligible for the England team myself, Steve. Yeah, we had a lot of we had a lot of English players and uh I mean, I played probably, I would imagine, mid-30s caps I had. I mean, maybe I felt like I should have had a few more, but different reasons, different things just didn't work how they were. worked out, and it's fine. I mean, I had, a, like I said, I had a great experience with it. But um, I remember it was, it was, in fact, it was my first MVP year. I came into, went to camp. The wife got a little ill with her, with her pregnancy, and I was a little bit late, and I went up to, went up to camp, and I was, we're, I think we we're going to the Commonwealth Games or something like that, and they come off the MVP year, and... I didn't kind of wanted to go. I wasn't committed to it as like I should, because obviously the wife was too ill. I got up there and, and uh, I worked out literally one day and then uh, Lazlo Nemeth came and said, you know, I don't think things are gonna work out. I think so. I'm not gonna mention names, but he gave me like three or four names that would give them more than he felt that I would give them. And I said, well, you know, I'm sorry you feel that way, but I don't agree with you, but best of luck. Well, it was cool. They went away and they struggled and I went home, looked after the family and worked out and I was good. And I said to him, if you think those guys can do more for you than a basketball team, I'm fine and best of luck. So, yeah, went home, got to chill, got my summer, relaxed. Because one year I played all the way through by Christmas time, my legs were done. It was hard. You know, you did your summer training and then you had played all year. And then, you know, the European championships and working out and training camps and practice by the following year, Christmas, man, talk about legs being done. I got shin splints that year. And I'm like, that never wanted to do that again. Yeah. Do do you um when it when it came to the season ending, did you just go right? That's it. I'm sitting back now. I'm relaxing until I have. Couple to weeks. Always wanted to go. Always wanted to go away. Waited till school broke up and the kids were old enough. But um, I wouldn't touch a basketball for a week. Then I'd slowly get back into it and then um, go away for a couple weeks with the kids and, and the wife, and then get back into it before the season started. It's it was it was tough because back then, like you said, access to a gym was so hard to get. So you know, Mick had a lot of connections. Obviously, I mentioned Jason was working there. Um, it was just hard to get a gym, you know. And then if you go in and say, okay, you can have it for half an hour. What are you doing a half an hour? Yeah, you know, um, that's why that the, that little gym in in Fratton Park that we did a lot of work in that came in, but it was only about that wide. <laughs> it, was that, it was so you can, it was no three-point line in there it was just literally it was a thin court that we could just go in there and we had access to a gym we could go in there and work out but again it's working out in the gym is probably the size of a badminton court and a half that's what we, that's what we had to work out in because we didn't have access to the gyms so at the end of the season switch off for a little bit and then slowly get into it whether you're going into weights or whether you're doing a little bit of running or whether you're going into the gym just working it, again, different time now, because nowadays you, you, the teams have access to gyms pretty much, I guess, at the top level, a lot more than we did. Yeah. Uh, and is that is that where we've heard of 
these notorious two-week basketball um, sessions where it's like everyone's just had the summer and it's like two weeks, fellas. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Yep. And then we would have, we had to get ready because then we would do, um, we go to the Naval base. Collinwood was one of them. We go to HMS Collinwood where we'd have our morning workouts, followed by practice, followed by lunch, followed by evening workouts, followed by practice, followed by bed. Wow. And then we did that for a couple of weeks. And then that would be our buildup to the, to, to, then we'd leave after those two weeks. So we go to Europe and, and play some games or even go around England and play some games. But those two weeks were brutal. Yeah. yeah they're, they're, like they're notorious. It's like, you know, that people talk about now, like those two weeks, uh, like you, you're going to suffer. No matter how much you did to get ready, you're going to suffer. <laughs> no matter how I'm telling you, man, it was, it was brutal. It was brutal. And we did it. You know, we got through it. But it, it was brutal. It ruined it ruined about three weeks building up to it. Like, man, in three weeks, we got to go to Collinwood. Man, in two weeks and four days, we got to go to Collinwood. Man, in one week, we got to go to Collinwood. So you wouldn't sleep for like a week building up to it anyways. Oh, yeah. It was brutal. And then when and when that, um, I guess, the preseason tour started, you know, you guys, you guys went around Europe um, oh, yeah. quite a lot. Oh, and yeah. We went to Spain, went to Portugal, went to Germany, went all over Europe and played. More Europe than England. We went to Europe and played, and I'm telling you that that one team with with Larry and and Cal and and Alan, everybody, we went all over Europe. We beat some very we beat Madrid. We beat some very good European teams, and we didn't just beat them; we spanked them. Yeah, I, well, I, there's some um, stories where uh, you went into Russia as well, mm-hmm. um, and they is that the one where they had like the net around the court so no one would no, throw anything on the court? No, they had the um, every the the the, the hockey. Oh, okay. Plexiglass behind the bench. Came to, about, <laughs> came to about here, and then it came over the first part of the bench, like down to about this level above your head. That's comforting. Like, why, are doing, why are they doing that? And then you hear smash. You find out by oh. the end of the game. You find out by the end of the game. Oh, really? Oh, so right. so people were throwing stuff. Throwing things, throwing things from their mouth, cigarette butts. Oh no. Oh yes. Coins. Oh yeah, we're playing in we're playing in England. We're playing in Turkey. Actually, Dave Gardner went to the line, um, down one with like literally two seconds to go. Takes us two dribbles, three dribbles. Just as he's about here, he's pelted with coins. Oh no! Literally pelted with coins. Referee stops game, goes back, pelted with coins. So he ended up hitting both of them. We ended up winning the game, but unbelievable. He ended up making both of them. We ended up winning the game. So I don't know if you know the name Morris Wordsworth. So we ended up winning the game in Istanbul. And it's, we're, you know, you old scene and you're running to the locker room covering your head and everything. So we get to the locker room. We look out like, where's Morris? Where's Morris? I hope he's all right. Nobody can find him. They go back out to the court. Morris has collected all the coins. He's trying to collect. <laughs> I was thinking, oh, boy, put him in his pocket. Like Morris, this is the locker room. Come on, man. <laughs> and people just throw things at him. He's collecting all of them, stick them in his pocket. Then yeah, he was our manager. Was, yeah. No. So yeah, those plexiglass days or those protection behind. Oh, absolutely. Wow. I mean, what would you, what would happen nowadays? Would that be? Well, they should be a T on yeah. the home they, team, home coach. Yeah. They'd probably just kick him out. They wouldn't let him do things like that now, I would imagine. I mean, they always show the pictures, don't they, between saying this is a game in 
wherever and this is a game in Europe and then they have all the fireworks going off and everything crazy. Yes. That, and yes, you know, they're very uh, enthusiastic crowd, it's fair to say. Well, that's a good choice of words, enthusiastic but, uh, crowd, yeah. <laughs> enthusiastic fans. But at the same, I mean, it's, it's a double-sided coin, isn't it? Because obviously from that experience you're saying, Connor, that's not ideal as a player. But when no. you see the fans and when you see people getting excited, you know, we certainly love it. When you see a crowd getting behind um, a team Definitely. like we saw at the weekend. Look just, at that shot last night. It's just, tie the game to go to overtime by Simon Olinipe. That's part of the game. And that, but the crazy thing is most, most of those times when we go through experience like that for the games, if you happen to run, because, you know, you'd stay maybe a day or maybe two if you have another in the same town. After the game, they pretty much adopt, a lot of the cities would adopt you and they'd show you this town, they'd take you out and buy your dinner, buy you some drinks and hang out. But at that game, it was a different beast. Because they fan is fanatic and that's, there's some fanatical stuff that they used to do. But they'd adopt, they'd adopt some of us pretty much if we're in town for a day or two and they'd look after us like we were part of the family. So how do you see the game differs between, say, the British game of basketball and European and American basketball? How do you see it? As a, In what way? Uh, the transition that the basketball's taken, when you look at the BBL certainly nowadays, it has its own... Basketball in, in the UK has its own pace almost. Mm-hmm. It's a different style of game. It's a sort well, of... It's a complete, well, if you, look at the, if you look at the... You said the NBA. If you look at the NBA game... Yeah. Years ago, you had the... Let's just use the center... Let's just use a center, for instance. Years ago, you had Patrick Ewing, you had Olajuwon, you had Kareem, you had centers, you had forwards, you had guards. I don't know if it's because of the three-point line, but you got center shooting threes now. Yeah, it still makes but me again, uncomfortable. It's a, a, a big difference, in my opinion, is the training style. So if you're in the United States and you're a bigger player, a taller player, to say, you're going to be a center or forward. If you have the best ball handling skills and passing skills, you're going to be a guard. If you're the best shooter, you're going to be a two, maybe a three. Stay in the corner and hit the open three. Whereas in Europe, for decades, when they when they you go to a basketball game, they're teaching you everything. You're not cubbyholed. They cubbyhole you more. If you're outstanding, you're outstanding. But I'm not talking about the outstanding players. You know, they cubbyhole you in the United States. I feel in Europe, if you're the tallest, you're still working on your ball handling skills. And do you think that's it's why we're working. seeing Luca and Wemby and those sort of characters because they've Dirk, got a more Dirk was the game. beginning of it and Kukoc and those guys were the beginning of six nines European coming over playing the European game. They still call it the European game. The footwork is more Victor Wemby. They talk about Wemby Yama, right? What's going on? Because a lot of the American style is AU, 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 AU. A lot of these kids are playing hundreds of games a year. They'll go to a tournament in Cleveland. And they'll play eight, nine games over the course of the week, and that can't be good for the body. So that's why they see a lot of the younger, especially American players, like Williams, like Zion Williamson, for instance. The big talk right now, certain is what's happened to him, his body, he's breaking down. Okay. Wembenyama, for instance, he was doing gymnastics and all these different flexibility exercises instead of just playing eight, ten games. Maybe he'll play two or three games over a weekend and then go work with his conditioning and diet and stretching exercise and different things. That's why his body's not breaking down as much. So I think the American style is a lot more AAU where they're playing. You got to grind, the grind, keep playing, keep playing, keep playing, but you got to have to look after your body as well. You know, a couple of the kids that I've coached over the years, 
they've gone through the grind and they get to college like you this is not a grind you get to college you're not you're not going to school eight hours a day and then practicing and then maybe going to taco bell or, or subway or mcdonald's before you you get to college they're going to give you diets now they're going to tell you when you're going to be eating you're going to be lifted at six in the morning two three hours of classes but up to that level it's more aau the aau scene's taking over the united states i know some very good aau programs i'm not a huge aau fan because i don't think you should play that many games in the weekend for a young kid that's 14 years old playing eight to ten games over a course of two and a half days wow you know it's just and then the body breaks down is the, um, and they're been talking about opening back up to high school as well for the nba draft haven't they that's something they, that they've they, been kicking around yeah but i mean they have the elite now i don't know they build these kids up every year man there's a next lebron there's a next carmelo there's a next jordan every single year but there's a lot more than aren't and uh, the thing that's concerning my is that there's only so many spots there's 500 players in the nba right whatever there's millions that play the game throughout the world it's not no longer the united states now there's millions that play this game over over the over the throughout the world and now they're trying to break into the european market more again they're trying to break into the asian market more again and then there needs to be more preparation. they've got the big transfer portal i don't know if you guys are big with that aware of that over there it's ruining a lot of the younger kids in the college level because the transfer portal you can transfer anywhere you want now a kid as a coach you're going to bring in a kid who's maybe two or three years in college maybe mature you're going to recruit a kid who's a, so a junior senior in high school that needs a year away and i think the trickle down effect is really affecting the younger generation of basketball here oh wow okay so that they're they're scoping them that early and priming them up to move across somewhere and that's how they're using it that's the mechanism. so if you go like i say if you if you speak to any roster if you speak to any team there's going to be some kids that are unhappy with the coach naturally so now what's happening is kids before you if you transfer you have to sit out a year now it's transfer they've gone to the transfer portal and with the nil deal here because they get so much money in college colleges can actually pay the athletes to, to come to the university there's so much money involved in it right now that it's affecting the younger kids i think wow well i mean that's sad if that's going to be the outcome is that these players are getting their bodies are just getting overused and by the time they're you know, late twenties, they're, they're done. They're There's a lot of kids. A lot of kids are burnt out when they're 18, 17, 18, 19 years old. They're burnt out because they're done. You, you know, they're pushed. The kids are lifting. Kids are in the weight room and lifting, and and in the gym is at three at th third grade. Eight years going to workout for basketball. I mean, it's, the, early for me. it's very prevalent the amount of injuries, certainly with uh, their legs being blown out with ACLs or, or knees. And yes, so forth. a lot of that is. Is, is that what oh, you're putting it down to? A lot of that. Yep, I I think so. Yeah, part of it. Yeah. What were the in injuries like in, in your playing days? What, were, was that sort of injury as, as prevalent? Was it as common? I just seem like I don't know if it's because it's more social media nowadays, or you know the, the telephone. I don't know, but I blew out my knee. I mean, people blew out their knees and hurt their backs. It just seems to be having it more because they're not getting a chance to their bones and their bodies to develop. And then you're putting, you want to put weight training on top of that. And then, like I said, playing all these games on, you know, and I, I just think the bodies are breaking down a little bit earlier. Yeah, definitely. I, I've, I've actually got a Colin Irish quote here that uh -oh. is similar, is on, on the lines of what you're talking about, kind of. 
um, and it is, I tell the kids that life's tough enough to treat basketball for what it is, is a game, and don't lose your mind in it. Mm-hmm. That's a great quote, yeah. isn't it? It is a game. I like that. Yeah. That game's, that, that game's personally has opened up so many doors for me and for so many people, but you got to, don't lose, don't lose the fact that it's just a game. And I'm trying to tell the kids now, yeah, it'd be fantastic to get these millions of dollars and millions of dollars, but a very, very, very large majority are not. Be prepared for something else. Yeah. And again, when I was younger, I wasn't prepared for nothing else. I had the dream of every other kid. I'm going to play the NBA. I don't care what anybody tells me. But, you know, you have to be prepared. And it's a game. It's a game. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. That is the end of this part. But do not worry because coming soon is the second part of this episode and it will be available soon.